Welcome back to Navigating the Book of Navigation, the undergraduate-produced podcast series at Boston College. My name is Gage Higgins, and I'll be introducing this episode today. Intrigued by the diversity of Ottoman society, Charlotte, Nick, Tamidayu, and Anna explore these complex interreligious realities through tracing the representations of mosques and churches in the maps of Piriris. The empire included a huge variety of Christians of various denominations and a smaller Jewish minority. How did the artists who drew the images in the Book of Navigation distinguish between Muslims and Christians in general, and especially between Ottoman Christians and Franks or Western Christians? And how did the Venetians portray the Ottomans? This episode shows how these pre-modern powers misconstrued one another through religious symbolism and exaggerated portrayals. Listen closely here for insight into how the Venetians saw and characterized the Ottomans. Hey guys, when's the last time you looked at a map? Like snap maps? I mean, I used Google Maps to get into Boston last weekend. No, come on. Like an actual paper map? Um, I have no idea. Where can you even find one of those anymore? Seriously, you guys, there are some really cool maps out there and like books and stuff. Yeah, I was just reading about this map maker, Piri Rees. Ever heard of him? Wait, didn't we learn about him in class? Oh yeah, the Ottoman guy? Yeah. Piri Rees wrote the Kitaba Barie, or the Book of Navigation. It has over 200 maps and descriptions that reflect Ottoman relations throughout their explorations and discoveries. So in the early 16th century, Reyes made this huge Portland chart to be used as a compass for navigation. Then, a few years later, he compiled all the maps into an atlas, the Book of Navigation. There were many copies of this version made, including one made in the 17th century that was given as a gift to the Sultan which brings a whole other factor of Ottoman politics into the understanding of the maps. Thankfully, this copy is now located at the Walters Art Museum in Baltimore, so we have access to read the whole thing. Did you ever get a chance to take a look at the actual copy? I mean, I didn't physically go to the museum to see the physical copy, but I've seen the online PDF version. So did I. Me too. Okay, same. Did you guys notice the depictions of the architecture, the mosques and churches? It looked pretty cool. There are a lot of really interesting contrasting images and descriptions. I have a feeling that they have a lot of connections to Ottoman politics, specifically to the religious tolerance towards the Christians and the political relationship with the Venetians. I agree. Let's take a look at the illustrations. I was scanning the manuscript for any mention or depiction of mosques, and on folio 683, the map of Anatolia is illustrated. At this time, Anatolia was the domain of the Ottomans' Grand Vizier. Anna, do you have that page up right now? Yeah, so basically on the whole page, the only architectural landmark is on the coast of Anatolia. And it's basically a mosque which is drawn on top of four hills and um, it has a gold-domed roof. That's super interesting because some of the earliest Ottoman mosques built in the 14th century Anatolia were domed with terracotta roofs based off of the style of the Byzantine churches. 
they made sure to remove all of the holy Christian images and artwork along with the bells from the interior of the churches. But what I found most interesting was they actually physically removed all of the corpses of Christians that were buried in the graveyards surrounding the churches and established a new sacred foundation for the mosques. That's interesting. I remember talking about this mosque, the Hagia Sophia, in my 10th grade history class. Is that mosque in the manuscript? Yeah, so the Ottomans conquered Constantinople and ultimately they took over Hagia Sophia. Um, what's interesting is that Hagia Sophia was originally a Christian church. It was well known for its beauty and kind of magnificence of its Christian architecture. But once the Ottomans took over, they actually didn't completely renovate or change the church to look like a mosque. Well, the addition of minarets was new, but the Christian mosaics, the columns, and the original foundation of the traditional Christian basilica form were kept and, in a sense, celebrated Christian architecture of the Byzantines. Okay, cool. So taking over the Hagia Sophia is more of an act of dominance and military victory in 1453, since it doesn't look like they took the Hagia Sophia for a religious purpose, but more of like a status purpose. And later in the 16th century, the chief architect, Sir Mimar Sinan, oversaw many construction projects sponsored by Suleiman I and his ruling elites in Istanbul. Most complexes in different corners of Istanbul adored the Ottoman threshold of felicity. Picture lofty domes and slender minarets reaching the sky. Oh, the minarets also became an important addition of Ottoman architecture outside of Istanbul. The Ottomans were very specific in adding tall minarets on the mosques built on large hills so that any travelers could see them from a distance and recognize the success of Ottoman expansion. And the kind of contrast this further. On folio 1560, the map of Tripoli is illustrated, which is now a modern city in the country of Lebanon. Tripoli was an important city in the eastern Mediterranean, and it kind of grew with Ottoman power starting in the 13th century. And this map illustrates the area with lots of color and very large drawings of multiple mosques. Each mosque has similar features like gold domes, tall minarets, and settlements around each. Did the features of the mosques change over time, or did they stay the same as when they were built in the 13th century? Yeah, so while their structures stayed the same for the most part, many of their decorations developed in later years. Like in the 16th century, Grand Vizier Rustam Pacha had a lot of ideas for his new aesthetic vision for the city and the mosque. He commissioned several mosques which were decorated with new colorful textiles. Some of the new interior decorations included tiles from Iznik. Is there any significance to these Iznik tiles? Yeah, there actually is. So Iznik is a city in modern-day Turkey, and the tiles from this city are beautifully colored with patterns in cobalt blue and a lot of accents of red, many of which have a lot of repeating floral patterns. These tiles are still very popular, and they actually originally came on the scene shortly before these grand viziers decided to decorate the mosque in this distinct and elegant way. These changes they were starting to make kind of reflected this new aesthetic vision that Pasha wanted. We can also see this aesthetic vision reflected in the manuscript as well. The maps show many colors with the large focus of the mosque decorated in gold. So does Piri Reis write about churches at all? I mean, the Venetians were pr a predominantly Christian people, so Reis is bound to have depicted churches in some shape or form. Well, a lot of the churches mentioned in the manuscript are described in accordance to the location of drinking water and other important resources. This shows how the churches acted as geographical markers to navigate the things that the Ottoman explorers needed to survive, but also revealed political relevance given that the churches were included in the images presented to the Sultan. Many of the churches are represented as simple structures with a slanted roof and a cross on top. 
What was the main reason the Christians and Venetians were drawn towards the Ottomans? The main attraction that Christians and Venetians had towards the Ottomans was in their wealth and for their protection. For centuries, the non-Muslims, including Christians, living in the Ottoman Empire were known as the Zimi. The Zimi paid special tax, which allowed them to have legal protection over their religious rights. Capitulations were contracts granted by the Sultan to Europeans, including Venetians. These capitulations allowed for Venetians and other Europeans to practice their religion inside the Islamic State under legal protections. These contracts also gave these communities special privileges that lowered custom duties and tariff rates and permitted them to travel and trade with the Ottoman lands. Oh, okay. So how is this religious tolerance evident in the maps during this time? Well, although the Christians were involved with the Ottoman Empire for centuries, the Ottomans, and especially Ottoman mapmakers, did not really know much about the Christian practices or specifics in Christian architecture. So the lack of understanding led the Ottomans to rely on cliché Christian architecture to symbolize churches on Ottoman maps. And it seems like Reese definitely confirmed this with the symbols used in the manuscript. They don't seem like much, but the inclusion and number of these drawings definitely relate to the Ottoman tolerance towards Christians. Definitely. Also, on both of the maps on folios 810 and 826 of the manuscript, the churches are clearly the main focus. The sides of the churches are much larger than all of the castles and are basically just as big as the boats. This definitely got me thinking about the Christians and the Venetians working for the Ottoman navy. The fact that the churches are drawn to be the same size as the castles kind of makes it seem like Reis wanted to show that they are of equal importance or value. This could be getting at the importance of the role that the Christian merchants played in the Western trade. This definitely relates to the political relationship between Western Christians and the Ottomans, specifically highlighting the 17th century representation and references to Western churches and Christians. What else do we know about these interreligious relations? Okay, well, we know that the Ottoman Empire was a multi-religious society at the same time as every other. They sought to expand their territories that were occupied by their neighbors. These people happened to be Christian. Their arch enemies were the Venetians. Anna, do you know more specific details about the Venetians? Yeah, so let's talk a little about the relationship between the Venetians and the Ottomans in the context of kind of a sense of rivalry between the two. Let's say they were kind of both superpowers during the time. Yeah, definitely. How do you say the Venetians viewed the Ottomans? Well, I think if we really look at how Italian mapmakers were reluctant to depict the city under Muslim rule, you can really tell what grudges were evident in the maps. And this makes it pretty clear that there was this general sense of resistance or even hostility towards the Ottomans, especially when it comes to claiming territory. Hmm, what do you mean? Well, for example, it was pretty common for Venetian cartographers to indicate Muslim territory with just a simple flag. You can see this in various representations of Istanbul on Venetian maps. Oh yeah, I remember that they would tend to just describe Muslim territory with crescents and turbaned figures holding up daggers, and that's the extent to how they would do it. It's very simple, minimalistic, and usually not a huge part of the map. Is there any sort of, you know, significant Venetian cartography you're thinking of? Yes, um, Battista Agnis. And who was he? Well, he was a cartographer in 16th century Genoa who made world maps and atlases covering different parts of the world. Okay, so what makes him different from all the other ones? Uh, he, in a sense, kind of made his maps to reflect time within history. 
you can really see him struggle internally with himself, kind of battling between where his loyalties lie and where he needs to draw the line when illustrating and, in a sense, recording history. As a Venetian, he obviously seems to take pride and want to show the superiority of his Christian origins. And this is really evident in his indication of the holy town Jerusalem with a depiction of Christ and God in the clouds, which is done undoubtedly to emphasize the Christian significance of the town. So does he even attempt to be objective? Uh, yeah, or at least what I interpreted as an attempt. Agnes includes an inscription below the map, somewhere near the map, just somewhere around there. And this inscription tells the general backstory of Selim I conquering the area when depicting the Eastern Mediterranean. He isn't the most objective cartographer, but he was definitely not the most biased cartographer. So who would you say was considered more biased? A more biased and opinionated example of a Venetian cartographer was Giorgio Sideri. He completely refrained from drawing Istanbul, which was Muslim territory at the time. And even though he depicted many of the cities and harbors in Europe and North Africa and the East, he just did not draw Muslim territory. So just how biased would you say he is then? Sideri was kind of the epitome of what you would call a prejudiced cartographer. He marked Bosphorus with a Christian flag as well as a banner with a crescent, essentially placing the Christian flag in the Black Sea as well, as if he's trying to assert Christian and Italian dominance over the territories. But those territories were actually currently being disputed over and technically didn't belong to either side yet. I mean, between 1499 and 1503, the Ottomans captured the bays of Lepanto, Navarino, Modan, and Koran along the Peloponnese from the Venetians. These kinds of continual Ottoman advances towards Venetian territory in the beginning of the 16th century kind of defines the relationship between the Ottomans and the Venetians. And as a result, by the mid-century, the Ottomans began to actually take interest in the work the Venetians were doing with their maps. Oh yeah, I know a lot about that. So uh, Prince Salim, son of uh, Suleiman the Magnificent, actually ordered world maps from the workshops in Venice in the early 1550s. Salim, along with his two brothers, were very interested in these Venetian cartographical productions. Why would they be interested in Venetian maps? It's a great question, and interestingly enough, they're actually symbols of prestige and power during their struggle for the Ottoman throne. It was almost like having a modern-day collector's item. These maps gave them views of all the empires and also legitimized their claim up for the throne. Was there any map that stood out from the rest? Yeah, there was. So one of the very important ones was the presentation of the whole world designed in its entirety, made in Venice by Adrio Ahmed of Tunis. It was one of the most iconic maps of the time. It was known to be very desirable by Ottoman authorities. While the real map was lost at some point, woodblocks from these maps remained in the Venetian archives. And then eventually in 1795, approximately 24 impressions were made of the map from the woodblocks. Woodblocks. Wow, that definitely aligns pretty closely to the Ottoman production of maps and sea charts during that same period. The importance placed on maps follows the socioeconomic and political trends of the Ottoman sphere during that time in the 16th century. What was going on with the Ottomans in the 16th century that was so important? That's a good question. So Ottoman supremacy in the Aegean region kind of emerged by the 1520s as the Ottoman expansion policy in the Mediterranean came into the picture. This expansion ultimately led to the annexation of modern-day Syria and Egypt, and the Ottomans showed quite a continued interest in Mediterranean campaigns. Oh, uh, so is this why they needed the map so badly? Exactly. For these military campaigns, they needed advanced and very detailed geographic material to help them have that advantage. That was kind of the main reason that they needed them, but there was also definitely other reasons as well. 
Sultan Mehmed II in the 15th century obtained a collection of geographical sources for the Ottoman court, and basically for his own personal interest in geography as well, which can kind of be seen by the extensive books and maps in the Topkapu Palace Museum. The reign of Mehmed II was kind of the starting point in map making, and we can see a general increase in the Ottoman production of military maps or siege plans. With this came a common feature of these maps that kind of trademarked Ottoman handicraft. The typicality of Ottoman miniatures can be seen in the inclusion of miniatures in the siege plans of Belgrade and Lepanto. These both reflect the miniature painting technique where the map and the miniature painting kind of intertwine at the same time. If you can't imagine it, it usually has flat walls, but with elevated monuments, plants, and coloring is a common feature of this technique that emerged from map making as well. Crazy to think how important these maps were for the Ottomans. I never thought about how politics and religion played into the making of the maps. It really is crazy how much a map can tell us about history. I told you guys maps are pretty cool. Wow, you're so right. We should really bring back paper maps. <laughs>